Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 24 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm a writer, podcast host, and accountability coach. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 diabetes for about eight years now. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 48 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about how to find a good endocrinologist and some signs that you might need to find a new one if your current endo isn't up to snuff. Reminder for our audience, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes, please leave us a comment or send an email to colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. I have the win of the week, and it's uh, kind of a generic one. I've had some pretty good blood sugars for the last day or so, and that's nice. I just, I like it when I stay completely between the lines, as uh, Levi Davenport would say. Jesse, what is your fail of the week? So the last two days have been actually kind of hard for me, because last night I went to a barbecue, which is a lot of fun, but a lot of carbs. So when I went to bed last night, my blood sugars were a little high, like peaked at 300 and then started going down. But I was so exhausted and so tired by the time I got home that I didn't realize that my blood sugars were dramatically dropping. So around 2 a.m., I woke up to my pump telling me that I was 40, which is not good when you're trying to sleep. So I woke up and I stumbled to my bed and luckily I accidentally brought some like leftover cake or something. I scarfed that down really fast, but you know, it's just kind of trickled over in today, so I'm a little tired, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. So Colleen, what's our hack? Well, some of the Dexcom G6 applicators actually get stuck to the sensor during insertion, which means that the applicator doesn't go through the full cycle of insert and retract. This has happened to me a grand total of once, and we were able to knock it loose by whacking it with the handle of a knife. Most people actually suggest using a wooden spoon, and this is all over the place in Facebook groups. And fun story, I did not even know this happened until after I was in those Facebook groups and saw those posts, and then lo and behold, the next sensor I put on, it sticks. This is actually an issue that Dexcom knows about. If you can't get the applicator to release and you have to peel the sensor off, call Dexcom and they should replace it. There have been some reports in the Facebook groups of entire boxes of sensors not coming off with the applicator and having Dexcom have to replace an entire box. I don't know if I would call it scary, but it was startling. So this episode is about endocrinologists and finding a good one. But multiple different types of caregivers can actually provide care for diabetes. We're going to go through the list of specialists who can give care for type 1 diabetes, and then we'll talk about what each of them do, and then why you should find someone with a specialty. So endocrinologists can provide diabetes care, as can certified diabetes educators, or CDE, but those are now actually called certified diabetes care and education specialists. So the new acronym is CDCES, which is not as uh, friendly, but they made the name change 
and I guess it's sticking. You can also have care provided by nurse practitioners, which are NPs, registered nurse practitioners, which are RNPs, and advanced registered nurse practitioners, which are ARNPs. And then you can also get care from primary physicians. We're going to start out with endocrinologists. So our endocrine system is the system that controls and regulates the hormones in our body. Clinical endocrinologists can treat a large number of endocrine disorders, including type 1 diabetes. Endocrinologists can specialize in specific functions of the endocrine system, which is why it's important to pay attention to specialties when you're looking for a doctor. My doctor, my endocrinologist, she also practices with other kids who have other disorders that have to do with their endocrine system as well. So we always see a bunch of kids coming and going that aren't necessarily diabetics. It's also important to note that with type 1 diabetes, it's also common to have other autoimmune or endocrine problems, which makes it even better to go straight to an endocrinologist because they'll have the know-how and the knowledge and all of the different things that could be wrong with you. Right. So now we're going to move on to our Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialists, or CDCES. Uh, Healthline.com actually has a good article on, on them, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialists are healthcare professionals trained specifically to coach patients with diabetes through their own self-care. This means coaching on glucose testing, medication dosing, insulin delivery, results logging, and more. Some CDEs have specialized training as insulin pump educators, focusing on helping patients get set up on those advanced devices. CDEs also work with patients and their families to teach diabetes self-management skills, and they help with everyday challenges that doctors often don't have the time to address. They work in hospitals, clinics, and small practices, and they spend time with patients reviewing their glucose records, discussing life challenges, and suggesting actions for improving your diabetes management regimen. Now, insurance may not cover any visits you have with CDEs, so be sure to check with your insurance provider. So what do nurse practitioners do? They're allowed to make diagnoses to do tests to better understand what's happening with the patient's body or to help diagnose a patient. They're also very similar to doctors or endocrinologists, but they don't have the same title or the specialized training. So their job entails a bunch of different types of activities, like coming up with treatment plans, diagnosing patients, writing prescriptions, doing x-rays, teaching patients about health management, and looking over symptom history with people to better understand what's going on with them. They have a lot of training to do to cover all of these things, but they're just not at the same level as a specialist doctor. This is actually what I thought I wanted to do before I decided I wanted to be an engineer. What made you change your mind? There were a couple of factors, but with, you know, working with patients and everything, I realized that I would be responsible for a lot of people. And if I got that wrong, I would put that on myself because I would be responsible for their health. And that just not, that just doesn't sit well with me. Also, with the type of engineering that I'm currently thinking about, I might be doing a lot of traveling because I'd like to go into Engineers Without Borders, but with Doctors Without Borders, I feel like that's just too much on top of managing my own diabetes, so I decided to go a different route. So now we're going to talk about primary care physicians and why you should have a specialist instead. Primary care physicians are just that. They're for primary care. They know a little about a lot. 
they're the general practitioners usually, and many of them are not as knowledgeable about diabetes, let alone type 1 diabetes, as you would want from your diabetes doctor. My endo also acts as my primary care physician, even though she isn't a general practitioner, she's an ARNP. Primary care physicians, or PCPs, are typically the first medical practitioners contacted by a patient. Primary care doctors' scope of practice and skills are intended to allow for basic diagnoses and treatment of common conditions. One of the fundamental goals of a PCP's evaluation is to differentially diagnose. A differential diagnosis distinguishes conditions from diseases that may present similar symptoms or characteristics. So you'd want a PCP to diagnose diabetes instead of flu, that sometimes doesn't happen. So the reason you should have a specialist instead of a general practitioner is because they do basic and differential diagnosis. They won't have that in-depth knowledge about the endocrine system that a clinical specialized endocrinologist, a CDCES, or an endocrine-focused nurse practitioner would. I actually have heard stories of general practitioner primary physicians misdiagnosing diabetes completely or just sending the parent home with instructions for how to take care of the flu since flu symptoms overlap a lot with symptoms of type 1. To be safe, if you're diagnosed in the ER by a primary care physician or a general practitioner, ask for a referral to a clinical endocrinologist who specializes in type 1 diabetes because you need that in-depth knowledge. But we won't dismiss PCPs completely because you might find one who is extremely knowledgeable about type 1, especially if they have it themselves, and they might be your best choice for care. We came up with a list of what makes a good type 1 endocrinologist, and we're just going to go through that. So they treat you like a person. They put the responsibility of care in your hands. They see more type 1 than type 2 patients. They work with you to change dosing and ratios. They're engaged with you at your appointment, so they don't cross their arms. They don't look at their clock or the watch. They don't make moves towards the door. They don't hurry you along so they can see their next patient. They're on time to their appointments. They talk to you at your, your level of understanding. They don't make you feel stupid for asking questions or asking for clarification. They'll give you referrals for any complications you may develop. They're really thorough in their examinations, so they check feet, vitals, thyroid. They dig into the data for your blood sugars and talk to you about it. They review your settings regularly. They'll make sure they know about any changes in your life. They'll make suggestions for improvements to your care and your goals like for A1C, and for time and range. And they work with all the devices you use or they're willing to learn yours. They understand what your goals are. So if you want to lose weight, they'll give you tools to make those healthier choices to help you reach your goal and not try and convince you out of it necessarily. Another thing is that I really noticed was that they listen to you rather than listening to your parents necessarily. Just because you know, your parents, they do want to look out for you and want to do what's best for you, but you know your own body over what they know. It's kind of funny you say that because my mom always went with me to my pediatric endo appointments, but she never really got that involved. I think she actually stayed out in the waiting room more often. So I guess my pediatric endo technically listened to me, but at the same time, he didn't. Anyway, this kind of leads right into marks of a bad type 1 endocrinologist because my pediatric endo, while being a good doctor, he was not the right doctor for me growing up. And I'm sure a lot of things would have been different if some of his practices had been different. So I would think bad endocrinologists, they never change your settings. I never had my settings changed when I was growing up. They were pretty much always the same. 
if I made any changes, then I was responsible for them and he never questioned them. They don't pay attention to new technology. It took a long time to get my pediatric endo to graduate from logbooks to the automatic recording of blood sugars from not just to see, well, I didn't have a CGM back then, but I was able to upload my meter readings through CareLink, which is the Medtronic portal. And it took forever to get him up to speed with that. The nurses struggled at that place. I would think that not great T1D endocrinologists also think that A1Cs over seven are okay. They're not really because a non-diabetic A1C is 5.7 or lower. And 7% is, while it's good for many young diabetics because it's a major struggle to get it below that, I've never had support from my pediatric endo to get it below seven. He always told me, oh, seven is good. Like seven is a goal and I would never get it underneath seven. And that was not helpful, especially when I learned that even being seven is damaging. Bad endos don't treat you like a person. They might not have specialization for type one or they don't keep up with the research. So they'd be really far behind on getting you anywhere up to date with insulins or new technology. Bad endos also would tell you what to do instead of working with you to find out what your personalized goals are. So like Jesse said, for a good endocrinologist, they'll work with you to actually reach your goals. Instead of telling you that you need to lose weight, they would work with you on what that weight goal would be and how to actually get there and then support you through it. And then the last thing for my marks of a bad T1D endo is that they're late to appointments. It was very well known with my pediatric endo that he was always an hour late and we would get to the waiting room and expect to be late. So that wasn't just something that was kind of the norm for him, but it should not be the norm for any endo you go see. I got really lucky with my endocrinologist and she's amazing. And it's just my personal opinion. And she's the one that I've had my entire diabetic life. So I don't have any experience with this. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut with this part. <laughs> so now let's talk about how to find a good endocrinologist. First off, ask for recommendations from your primary care physician, maybe the doctor who diagnosed you if you're still close to your diagnosis date, from family if you have family members with type 1, from your friends if you have friends with type 1. You can ask for recommendations from people in the online diabetes community, and you can listen to episode 27 for more information on diabetes communities. You can ask for recommendations from medical or endocrine clinics near you and through online search tools, best if it's through your insurance. You want to make sure that when you're getting those recommendations from real people that you ask why they like the endocrinologist they're recommending. They need to give you a reason and you need to like their reason. You should check to make sure that they're in your insurance's network because out-of-network doctors are a lot more expensive. And specifically, since you will be seeing your endo at least every three months, then that will, that will add up. You should do your research on them to find out their specialties, their credentials, any reviews that they have, and more about their practice. Then you should visit the doctor. So you should evaluate how comfortable you feel in the office, not just with the doctor, but also the receptionists. You should bring relevant information, your medical history, CGM reports if you have them, and be prepared to talk about your diet and your exercise routines. And also any family medical history. So if your parents have a history of type 1, if there's a history of type 2 in your family, that is something you would want to know and bring up. You should also be prepared to ask questions like, what is their weight management philosophy? That might be a big deal. You should ask what diets or food protocols do they recommend for their patients? Personally, I would stay far, far away from any endocrinologist who recommends the ADA or 
the JDRF or the FDA because those are all high carb diets. You should ask what technology they're familiar with. Tandem, Medtronic, Omnipod, Dexcom, Libre. Do they, do they work with the technology that you want or the technology that you have? Which technologies do they recommend and why? Are they sales reps for any device companies? Because sometimes doctors will have special relationships with device companies and they will push a single device on you that might not be best for you. Are they familiar with diabetes management apps like Pops Diabetes Care? How often will they require you to have an appointment? This one is actually really important to ask because when I was growing up, I'd heard that adult diabetics only had to see their endos once a year. But to get insurance to sign off on prescriptions for insulin, you actually have to go every three months. And that's according to my endo. You should also ask how often they run blood panels and ask if you can have your lab work completed before your appointment so that you can discuss it with them. You might want to ask what A1C that they recommend their patients stay below. You could ask, do they have any appointment times that work for you? That's a big one. My doctor has Saturday appointments once a month during the school year, which means I don't have to take the time off work during the workday to go to my appointment because she's an hour away and that's without traffic. And then you should also not be afraid to find a different doctor if the first one that you visit isn't a good fit. There's no point in trying to force the relationship to work, especially if you have opposite values. For me, it's really important that my doctor is supportive of my choice to eat a low-carb diet. And now we're going to tell you guys why we specifically like our endocrinologists. I call her an endo. She's not technically an endocrinologist. She's an ARNP, which is Advanced Registered Nurse Practitioner. And she also has a functional medicine license, among other things. It's just easier to call her my endo. And I like her because I've known her since I was six, which means she knows me very well. She cares about me as a person. She cares about my family and she asks me about my life. She supports my decisions. She teaches me new things whenever I see her. And that's a kind of a big one. We always talk about at camp, we always learn something new when we go to camp. And I feel like every time I go see my endo, I learn something new. She also encourages me to take ownership of my diabetes, which is a big one. She, she also calls me a boring diabetic. And that should be the ultimate goal of any endocrinologist because the more boring you are as a type one, the less problems you'll have. And she also spends more time during our appointments talking about non-diabetes specific things since my settings are pretty much on point. So she'll spend a lot of time talking about the stress system, cortisol, different hormones, how they affect the body, instead of trying to go through all of my data and trying to pick out things to fix because my blood sugars are really good. And because I'm a boring diabetic, she has other things to worry about with me. All right. So a couple of reasons why I like my endocrinologists is because the first and most important reason is that she listens to me and my concerns and we act together to solve them. I've known her since I was eight and she was my first endocrinologist. I didn't grow up with her or anything. She wasn't my best friend, but she came pretty close at one point. She works with me to make decisions with me. You know, she helps me to grow. Every time I see her, I feel like I've learned and grown in a new way. She doesn't make me feel bad about my blood sugars, even if I feel that I didn't do so good or, oh, maybe I didn't need that one piece of food or something. She doesn't make me feel bad about living my life. And I'm not going to lie, it does really help that she's a woman doctor. It helps me to understand my body and how it's going to relate to me growing up as a woman over 
just growing up as a diabetic, which for me is really important. Male doctors, they kind of make me just feel uncomfortable. So it's all about preference. We work together to come up with a plan for the next three months, and she trusts me on what I want to do with my body. Again, I've only had one endocrinologist, so that's pretty lucky considering all things, and it doesn't necessarily happen with every patient. Yeah, I went to a pediatric endo from diagnosis at age two all the way through when I turned 18, and when I turned 18, that's when I switched to my current endo, and I've known her since I was six because she was the head nurse at Panther Camp for most of the time that I was a camper. And so I've known her since I was six, and I was kind of dying to get her as my endocrinologist once I was an adult. I was just like, when, when is the youngest age you'll take me? And she's like, 18. <laughs> so I was really happy to switch from my pediatric endo to my adult endo. And actually, funny story, on the first ever visit I had with her, she changed all of my pump settings, and the rest of the day, my blood sugars were basically perfect. And you, she usually never does that. She usually changes one setting at a time. And I was just like, I'm okay with you changing all of them. I will be your guinea pig. <laughs> I was just so happy that she did because my blood sugars were great after that. Our diabetes spotlight this week is on Lauren Cox, the first player with type 1 diabetes in the WNBA. And that's the Women's National Basketball Association. Lauren started playing basketball when she was five and was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was seven. At the time, no one else in her family had type 1. She experienced the classic symptoms of drinking a lot of water and going to the bathroom a lot. She was on the track team and went from winning every race she ran to all of a sudden placing last. Lauren was drafted third overall in the 2020 WNBA draft, joining the Indiana Fever team as the first ever professional women's basketball player with type 1 diabetes. It's a massive deal, but it surprises actually very few of us in the type 1 community. We know that indomitable spirit well. It is the resilience we all have gained through the challenge of diabetes. I'm really excited for Lauren because she's proof that type 1 diabetes does not hold us back unless we let it. We can do whatever we set our minds to. We are examples for other type 1 diabetics to show what's possible. And we're going to do a review shout out today because we have a couple more reviews on iTunes. Thank you guys. And we actually have eight five-star reviews, so please keep those coming. Cactus Hugs, who I'm betting is Molly Johannes from episode 28, writes, Colleen and Jesse's podcast is chock full of information that is useful to people who are strangers to diabetes, those who have had it for many years, and everyone in between. They put a lot of work into each episode and have a wonderful variety in topics that they cover. Give this podcast a listen. So thank you so much for that awesome review, Molly. Another review, Eileenie says, I'm a wife of a type 1 diabetic, and this podcast has given me so much information and help to try and understand his world. Thanks, girls. Thank you, Eileenie. We're so glad that our podcast is helping improve your understanding of your husband's diabetes. Jesse, what is our question for the audience? All right. Our question for you, our lovely audience this week is, How did you find your endocrinologist or diabetes specialists? What do you like about him or her the most? Let us know in the comments below. And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 48. That's the number 48. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. This is the perfect time to learn how to manage your mind. If you're stressed, burned out, overwhelmed, 
and want some help getting back on track and honoring your commitments to yourself, sign up for accountability coaching at inspiredforward.com coaching. I'm on all social media as at inspired forward and our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send in questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts since we will shout you out when we get it. Be sure to listen in next week when we talk with Kristen Roth, a mom of two type 1 diabetic boys who's passionate about helping parents of newly diagnosed diabetics navigate their new reality without succumbing to the overwhelm that accompanies this kind of upheaval in life. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.